Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 221 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Parisian Warrior, an interview with Julie Kamel. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Now, we named this episode The Parisian Warrior because this is a young woman who had traumatically induced Lyme disease. Her mom and dad went through a really ugly divorce. And unfortunately, her parents actually even targeted her during the course of the time that they were having their challenges before they went through their divorce. That suppressed her immune system and caused her Lyme to become chronic. Rich, it was really interesting to hear from Julie about how Lyme disease is treated in France. Julie suffered from chronic pain due to Lyme disease. She had neurological Lyme symptoms and even had Lyme carditis or Lyme of the heart. She kept being told by doctors and friends that Lyme doesn't exist. Lyme can't persist and it's all in her head. In fact, her dad said she's just lazy and crazy and that she's not really sick. But Julie kept fighting and fighting until she found a doctor in France who recognized Lyme disease and helped her get better. Matt, regardless of where you are geographically, the Lyme disease journey seems to be the same. It's a difficult disease to diagnose. Doctors will, in many cases, suggest to you that you're crazy rather than sick. Your family will invalidate you, and you really have to suck it up on your own, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and fight the fight on your own. And that's exactly what this young warrior did. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the Parisian warrior, Julie Campbell, to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hey, Julie from Paris, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad. Well, we're really excited to have you as well. So can you please share with us first, uh, where do you live? I, I know you live in the Paris area. Where specifically in France yes. are you from? Um, in, the, in the south of Paris, in Massy, a little okay. town. And is that where you grew up? Yes, I was born uh, there, and uh, I live there. Too. Okay, and, and talk to us about what your childhood was like. Uh, what 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 was the educational system like, and what kinds of social activities did you engage in as a uh, young girl in the south of uh, Paris? Um, I did some dance, some gymnastics, some. I went to the swimming pool. Um, I was a happy little girl. So uh, you, you engage in a lot of athletic activities and, and talk to us about what your education was like. What kinds of things were you studying in addition to the social activities that you were engaging in? Um, I was going to school uh, like uh, all the children. Um, I have uh, good grades. Um, I was um, a serious uh, student. Um, a really uh, normal girl. So uh, talk to us about what your family situation was like. Um, what, what did your mom do? What did your dad do? And do, do you have any siblings? Uh, I'm an only child. Um, my mother is a German um, professor. Um, and my dad is an engineer, informatics. Okay. And... Now, uh, talk to us about what you thought you were going to do as a child. What was your vision for your future? Meaning, what were you dreaming about and what were you working toward as a child? Um, first, I wanted to, to be um, a veterinary. Um, then uh, I always wanted to work in journalism. So what, what kinds of things were you doing to try to achieve these dreams and goals that you had set out for yourself uh, professionally? 
Um, I write it a lot. Uh, I love writing, reading too. Um, I always had um, facilities in, in French at school, literature. So now, Julie, as, as you were growing up and you were engaging all these different activities that you were engaging in um, and you were studying in school, did you know anything about ticks or tick diseases such as Lyme disease? No. Um, uh, I first uh, learned about ticks uh, when I was 13 uh, during a journey with, with school in the dark forest in Germany. Um, we went on a walk and, uh, and uh, the teachers told us about ticks and Lyme disease, but um, they told us uh, that um, we can heal uh, really, uh, really easy with uh, antibiotics uh, during three weeks, and that's all. So um, now when you went on this trip where the teacher in Germany taught you about ticks, told you about Lyme disease and told you that it was easy to heal, that you could, you could get better if you had three weeks of, of antibiotics. Um, did that cause you to be concerned about ticks and tick diseases? And did it cause you to change your behavior at all? No, I, I just paid attention uh, like all of us. But um, uh, I remember I, I thought um, it will never happen to me. So you were, you were made aware of this potential problem, but the way you were taught about this problem led you to believe that it wasn't a big deal. Yes. And because it wasn't a big deal, you really didn't have to change your behavior to protect yourself from, okay. this, from this problem. Maybe I, I got sick uh, that day. I don't know. So let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about when your symptoms first started. When did you first start to feel sick from symptoms that you now know to be your Lyme disease symptoms? Um, I just uh, got to high school. I was 14, 15 years old, um, and I got really tired. Um, I lost around. 17 pounds. Um, and um, three months after uh, my parents split up, one year later, um, I got uh, tired, um, pain in my body everywhere, uh, like strains. Uh, it began with my back, then my legs my arms, my hands, my feet, etc. So Julie, you said the first symptom you began to feel, and this is when you were about 14 or 15 years old, was fatigue. And we know that that is the number one symptom that almost everyone with chronic Lyme disease has in common. We've seen that from a lot of the polling that's been done by LymeDisease.org, for example. And when you started to feel this fatigue, um, did you did you talk to your parents about that, and did you seek out any medical assistance? Yes, I saw my doctor, but um, we thought that it was 
because of the new rhythm in high school. Um, I also had um, my horse, so um, my life changed. My um, it was really um, um, how to say that. <laughs> um, it was really tiring to to go see him uh, after school uh, with homework, uh, etc. So you, you said it was your, your horse was causing you to have a lot of responsibilities at that time. Yeah. And your doctor was writing off your fatigue as you being overcommitted, right? You were doing, you were working and you had to go to your horse and you had to do all that work. So your doctor was explaining your fatigue as, as you just being too busy. Exactly. And a lot of, of stress, I think, too. So let, let's talk about that, Julie. So you said that um, that your first symptoms began shortly after your mom and dad went through a divorce. Yes. So now one of the things that we often try to talk to our guests about is to identify what was happening at the time that their symptoms had first started, right? And mm -hmm. we like to look at first whether or not there was some clear indication that perhaps they had come in contact with a tick. Um, or were infected in some way. And you've already identified that you went on this trip to Germany where they were specifically telling you to be about, be concerned about ticks. Um, and then the second thing, of course, we always look for is, were there any immune disrupting events? Meaning, was there something monumental in their life that could cause them stress that could cause a suppression of their immune system? And now it sounds to me like your mom and dad going through this divorce was that kind of experience for you. So can you talk to us about how uh, your mother and father's divorce impacted you emotionally, and do you believe that played a large role in um, in your body's inability to fight off the bacteria uh, and the viruses that caused you to be sick? Um, I think um, it's because they didn't protect me at all. It was very violent. Um, they they split up uh, in front of me um, and, um, and my dad um, had a really bad um, compartment with me um, so i saw my mother crying uh, every night uh, during uh, months and months uh, years i think um, so I couldn't um, really say what what I I thought what um, what I was feeling like. I was like a punching ball for my parents. So, in, in addition to watching all of this unhealthy behavior between your parents, you also became the punching bag, and unfortunately, they were mistreating you not just by behaving badly in your presence, but they were also unfortunately treating you badly because they were both in an unhealthy place. Yes. So Jill, you said you went through this, you went through this period where you also lost a tremendous amount of weight. You lost 17 pounds when you're only 15 or 16 years old, right? Or four, I'm sorry, 14 or 15 years old. Um, now, did, did you call that weight loss to your doctor's attention? And what did the doctor... Um, if anything, say about now the fatigue that you are feeling and all this weight loss that you are suffering. Um, she was a bit worried 
um, I did the blood test um, and I think she tested the Lyme disease at that time, uh, but I knew it later, um, but it was negative, obviously. Um, no, she, she took it uh, seriously. So the doctor took, you, you said the doctor took the weight loss. And I guess you, I mean, you don't look like a big person. I know our, the, our listeners can't see you, but you look like a little person. And then you, of course, very young and, and, and probably much thinner. That extreme weight loss was something you, you, you took seriously and your doctor took seriously. And you said that was the first time that Lyme disease did in fact come up and you were tested. You were given a blood test for Lyme disease. Yes. Now, Lyme disease, polyarthritis, um, all of that diseases, um, muscle disease, uh, arthritis, um, the, um, the classical. So the, the, the blood testing that your doctor had given you had come back negative. Um, do you know what, do you know what type of blood test the doctor had given you to determine whether or not you were suffering from Lyme or some other tick diseases? Yes. Uh, it's called ELISA test in France. Oh, so it was, a, it was a French test? Yes. Okay. They are really bad. <laughs> Very bad. Well, it is. It, 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 there, there aren't many good tests even today, but that was, that was some time ago for you. And, and obviously testing was, uh, testing was nowhere nearly as good as it is now. And, and it's not great now, unfortunately. So, um, so let's talk about how your symptoms progressed over time. Um, and how you were getting sicker and how that was impacting your, your life. Um, I remember my mom um, had to wake me every morning to go to school um, because uh, I didn't wake. So, so the, the fatigue was so severe you couldn't even get out of bed? Yes. I remember sleeping for 22 hours. What, what other symptoms were you, were you suffering? You, you, talked about, um, you talked about having back pain and leg pain and arm pain and pain in your feet. So talk to us about the pain and where you were feeling that and how that pain was developing. I started in my back. Um, I had to see an osteopath. Um, almost 10 times in a few weeks um, because that was the only thing that relieved me. Um, and uh, lastly, uh, um, it got uh, in my, my legs, my, my arms, my hands, my feet everywhere um it was like i had big sprains everywhere so how were how are these symptoms your fatigue um your um all of the pain that you were feeling how is this impacting your life were you was it impacting you at school was it impacting your ability to care for your horse uh what other what other parts of your life were suffering as a result of these developing symptoms um, I stopped riding my horse and it broke my heart. 
um, I started to miss uh, school um, during days, then weeks, and it was very difficult to 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 work at home. So, Julie, now I, I see from uh, the information you shared with us before we started the podcast that you did go to college. In fact, you went to one of the top colleges in the world. So, talk to us about. Um, how you how you were able to overcome all of these challenges enough to get to into one of the top colleges in the world? Um, I don't think I understood that question. Okay, so let me ask the question. So, talk to us about how you were able to, despite having all of the pain that you were suffering and mm -hmm. the fatigue that you were suffering, and 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 um, and the weight loss. I mean, you were just. You were, it looked like you're, you were you were wasting away, right? You weren't able to ride your horse anymore. But despite having all of those problems, you were still able to get into a into one of the top colleges or universities in Paris. So, yes. talk to us about how you were able to get through all of those illnesses and those difficulties to still get into a very good college. Um... I continued to work a lot, even at home. Um, and uh, I prayed a lot <laughs> to have uh, my exam, uh, my final exam before going to college. Um, and um, before that, I had good grades too. That helped, helped me a lot. So where did you go to college and, uh, and what did you study when you went to college? Um, I went to the Sorbonne in Paris. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And um, I learned first history and German. And talk to us about how your symptoms, your illness were impacting your ability to study at the Sorbonne when you had gone there and, and how did it impact your ability to study history in German? Um, I was exhausted and um, I was taking morphine to go to school um, because of the pain that was um, inimaginable. So talk to us about how your illness um, was impacting you socially, meaning your mom and your dad had broken up. They were living, they were divorced and living apart. How did your, how was your mom treating you and, and treating your, your illness? And how was your dad treating you? And how was your dad treating your illness? Um, my mother um, didn't understand me. Um, I think she... She was feeling responsible uh, for my, my illness. Um, and I think she was in so much pain um, by herself that she, she, she can't um, see um, how, how bad I was. So Julia, your, your, your mom, because she was in so much emotional pain after being in an unhealthy marriage and unhealthy relationship, she couldn't see past her own pain. So she just simply couldn't see what you were going through. Yes, exactly. 
So talk to us about your dad. How is your dad um, responding to your, your developing uh, illness? Um, my dad um, was totally in denial and he still is uh, today, mostly. Um, he thought um, I was um, having a great time. Um, um, in French, in French, we say um, "avoir la flemme," um, that I I didn't want to work, um, that I didn't want to to party, to have fun with my friends, um, and then he he thought I I was uh, really um, that that I had mental illness. So. Your, your dad essentially thought you were lazy yes. and he thought you were mentally ill. Yes. And to this day, he still doesn't believe, despite you having a Lyme disease diagnosis, which we're going to get to in a minute, despite having a Lyme disease diagnosis today, your dad still doesn't believe that you are physically ill. Not really. He, I think he, he believes it. Um, but it's still difficult to, to understand the, the impact on, in my life. Um, he, he's minimizing uh, a lot uh, my symptoms, my suffering, etc. So let's talk about that window of time where you're getting sick, but your doctors are not able to give you a diagnosis. Do you believe that the medical system's failure to give you a diagnosis in part made it difficult for you to get the support that you needed from your mother and your father? Um, first, everyone thought I had psychological issues, um, that it was um, because of my parents, because of my mother's suffering. Um, and that was not false, <laughs> in fact, that um, doctors uh, didn't want to, to see <laughs> other things um, like a disease, a real disease. So it sounds like your, your parents' divorce became, you know, became the focus of everyone's attention, right? So your parents go through this very unhealthy divorce where they're attacking one another and engaging in behavior that was traumatic to you. They were attacking you. So you had to deal with that tr trauma, which now, now becomes immune disrupting to you. And while you're dealing with this emotional, um, this, uh, this emotional challenge that their divorce is presenting to you, you're also getting physically sick. But because they happened at the same time, in part, your mother and your father because they had their own emotional challenges, couldn't focus on your physical illness and it was easy for them to write it off. But it also sounds like the medical community was also defining your illness as a psychological illness because of the trauma of your parents' divorce. Yes. So Julie, how are, you, how are you doing socially at this time? You know, you graduated from high school and you're now going to college. Um, do you have time to make friends or do you just have enough energy to get through school and, and really don't have the time to have a social life while you're in college? 
um, I was really isolated uh, from the world. Um, um, I had one friend, my best friend, that is not my best friend anymore, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, and that's all. Um, I couldn't make friends uh, at college because I was so sad and so in pain. Um, I think uh, people didn't want to, <laughs> to interact with me. So, Julie, you, you, had, um, you had taken, um, it seems, a, a rigorous course load when you were at this top university. So talk to us about all of the different courses that you were taking um, while you were at the Sorbonne. What the courses is? Yeah, but you, you, you're, you said you were studying history and German, but I understand that you also studied uh, to become a, a, a medical secretary or, or you started to study in the uh, medical field. Yes, um, that was uh, two years after that. Um, it was um, a solution, um, how to say that? Um, I wanted to, to do that courses um, because I thought uh, it would be, um, um, easier for me because you were sitting in front of a desk um, and that's not uh, really tiring. Um, I was really wrong. <laughs> but, um, in fact, I just wanted to work to have a normal life um, and I had lost so many years uh, in college um, and to fail, to fail um, because uh, I, did, I didn't graduate those years uh, in college. <laughs> um, it was a, a really big um, issue for me. Um, it was really hard to, to accept. Um, so uh, I thought, uh, go and work um, and um, make uh, short studies. So I'm also wondering if, if, and again, I know you were having your challenges in college and you are, you were, you were so sick and you're, you're, you were getting sicker and sicker and unable to study at the level and, and perform at the level that you wanted to perform. Uh, but I'm also wondering if you were feeling called to move into the medical community and work as a medical secretary because you were sick and that would give you an opportunity to learn more about illness and illnesses so that you could begin to treat yourself. Yes. Um, it was for humanity too. I wanted to interact with people. Um, this, this human side of, of, that, um, of that work uh, was interesting me. Um, it was a really... Um, um, I don't know how to say that in English. No, but um, I understand. So, but you, you felt called to go and help other people who were having yes. medical issues just like exactly. you, right? Yes. I wanted to help other people uh, in a way 
in the way that, that I could, uh, could do. Right. So because you had been treated poorly by the medical community in a lot of different ways, you wanted to make a difference and you felt called to go and help yes. people because you could understand them having been sick yourself. I thought uh, I could change a bit uh, that word, that clinical word, medical word. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was a bit wrong. <laughs> So let's let's talk about let's talk about your diagnosis. Um, you you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease by a doctor, um, at least clinically initially. How old were you when you got your diagnosis? Nineteen. And talk to us about how you felt when you finally had a diagnosis. You had you were sick for all these years. You lost all this weight. You were you were just feeling terribly. You were having difficulties describing to your family and to your friends what was wrong with you. How did it feel now that you had a diagnosis? Um, I knew it deeply in my heart because I've done so much researches about Lyme disease before. Um, but I asked, I asked my, my doctor if, if it was true, <laughs> if it was really that disease. Um, because so much doctors before told me that um, it doesn't exist, <laughs> um, that it's not chronic, chronical uh, at all, um, that uh, we can heal it uh, so easy. <laughs> so Julie- I, I didn't believe it. Julie, what I find so frustrating about what happened for you in, France, just like we have here in the United States, is that you were tested for Lyme disease with yes. a really bad test years before you got your proper diagnosis. Mm. Now, did those doctors years ago explain to you that the testing was not perfect and you could still have Lyme disease even with a negative test? Yes, exactly. And did, my, my did, tests are still uh, negative today. And Julie, did your doctors tell you that the first time you got tested years before you got diagnosed? No, it was How? my, my generalist doctor. And uh, no, she, she didn't know at all that the test could be uh, negative. So what brought Lyme back into the picture? Meaning why did you test for Lyme again and what made you and your doctor think Lyme disease when you were 19 years old? Um, because um, in January um, 2017, uh, I started to have neurological—I <laughs> don't know how to say that. Neurological, the hard word. Neurological issues. Thank you. Um, like uh, memory loss. Um, uh, difficulties to concentrate um, and then in, in July I had um, heart issues so I, I went to um, an association because I, I had fibromyalgia um, diagnosis at that time um, and treatments <laughs> Um, but that, that uh, didn't work. Um, and uh, I met a woman in that association 
um, and uh, when she heard uh, my uh, my journey <laughs> with uh, all all of that symptoms, um, she she told me about Lyme disease. So I did a lot of researches, reading, etc. And uh, I heard about that uh, that wonderful doctor, <laughs> and uh, I went to see him. That I I, I knew it uh, that it was Lyme disease. I I just needed to, to, to be diagnosed by a doctor. So Julie, you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which I can't pronounce, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you were treated for it and the treatment didn't work, correct? Yes. Right. But while there, some of the other people who were treating told you it could be Lyme disease, right? And did the doctors where you were being treated suggest it could be Lyme disease or was it just the patients? Not at all. Not at all. So I find it odd that it's the patient community leading you to your proper diagnosis and not the doctors. We have the same problem here in the States and clearly you have that same problem over there in France. Yes. So... Talk to us about the fibromyalgia. What kind of medication were you given that didn't work? I had antidepressants, antiepileptics, um, antibiotics, um, muscle relaxants, um, many medications that destroyed me. When you say they destroyed you, Julie, what do you mean by that? Do you mean they destroyed you? Physically, mentally, both. Can you give us a little more information on that? Both mentally and physically, um, because I had um, um, I'll say that um, I finished um, like an alcoholic with antidepressants. I I don't know the word. Um, uh, is it like an addiction meaning yes, you, an addiction you, yeah a lot of these medications can be addicting and then your body depends on them and then you feel even worse if you try to stop is that what you mean yes exactly so i, I find it again i find it very strange that they misdiagnosed you with fibromyalgia because you had chronic pain, which can be attributed with fibromyalgia, but you also had heart issues. You also had brain issues. You had neurological issues. And they sort of ignored those other symptoms that were causing severe problems for you and fit you into this perfect little container to say, this is what you have and wouldn't come back to Lyme disease. Yes, exactly. So, Julie, here in the United States, Lyme disease was and still is a very controversial disease, meaning people, some people don't believe chronic Lyme is real. And I know you noted that is true in France as well, but is there controversy over Lyme in general, meaning even just getting a proper diagnosis is hard because there's so much political and, and you know, fighting going on with the government and, and the, the patient community? Exactly. So you found your doctor 
by a recommendation from another patient while treating for fibromyalgia, correct? Yes. A few years later. <clears throat> oh, a few years later. Then, then fibromyalgia diagnosis and treatments, uh, I stopped it a few years uh, earlier. Gotcha. So I want to come back to where Rich left off of you with your diagnosis. So when you went to see this doctor, I think you mentioned it was a clinical diagnosis, meaning solely based on your symptoms, not blood work. Is that true? Yes. And that's not uncommon because the testing is so bad. And, and you know, thinking about it, do you think your other doctors should have been more open to diagnosing you based on your symptoms rather than a, a blood test, which they should have known wasn't very accurate? but they, they don't want to recognize that the tests are so bad. Do you think that the doctors don't know the tests are that bad? Or do you think that they sort of just don't want to admit that they are that bad? Um, I think some uh, don't know. And I think uh, others don't want to admit it. I totally agree. So... When you got your diagnosis, talk to us about how you felt because you knew you had Lyme for many years. You were sick for over four years before you finally got the validation and confirmation from this Lyme doctor. So how did it feel for you when you finally got confirmation that you had Lyme disease? Um, I thought I'm not crazy. Um, and I, I didn't really believe it but um it was painful too um because i thought okay i'm really ill with a very difficult and controversial disease um and it's gonna be really hard um to heal it uh, because i had so many symptoms um different symptoms um i was afraid too um and in the same time um i was not relieved because my blood test was still negative so i didn't have that in front of me um, the results uh, was still negative. So for many doctors, I don't have Lyme disease. So I'm not, um, I felt like illegitimate with the disease. So Lyme made you feel illegitimate because you didn't have a test or something yes. definitive or a scientific piece of paper in front of you saying, you have Lyme disease mm -hmm. and many doctors don't even recognize it. So you felt uncomfortable with your diagnosis. Yes. So talk to us about the fear, because I think it's a really important part. And you did say you were afraid when you got your diagnosis. And I know I was as well. Once I started realizing how severe this disease is, you can't help but become afraid. So how did you work through that fear and still move forward to treat despite all you knew about how bad Lyme disease can be? Um, that's a difficult question. 
um, I think um, I didn't do so much. Um, I just did with it and um, I thought, um, okay, now uh, it's time to fight, um, to take uh, that medication and to hope uh, to, to get better. Julie, before we talk about your fight, which we're going to get to, I want to focus on your friends and family when you got diagnosed. So you mentioned your dad thought you really, you were just lazy and crazy, which is horrible because you clearly are not right. You are strong and you are a fighter. And, and because of your own persistence, you got a diagnosis and were able to, to get treatment to feel better. But how did your mom and I know your grandparents play an important role too for you. How did your mom and your grandparents take your diagnosis with Lyme disease when you finally got diagnosed? Um, I think um, my mom was shocked um, because she, she saw that I was really sick for a reason, but um, to have the official diagnosis, um, um, it was difficult for her, but she, she didn't show it to me. She's a really um, intimate with uh, her emotions, so she didn't share it with me. Now, did your mom believe that fibromyalgia was your diagnosis and that was it? Or did she always question it like you did? Because you said you knew, Julie, that you always had Lyme disease. Did your mom agree with you? Or did she think that maybe you were just off down some you know, road that may not be accurate and that you already had your answer? Um, I think she was questioning a lot. Um because of uh, antidepressants, anti-epileptics, antibiotics, etc. She was really shocked that I took that medications uh, at 15. Um, she was really afraid and she saw that that didn't work on me, that uh, I, I wasn't feeling well uh, or better with those medications. So it sounds like your mom, Julie, knew there was something else going on because yeah. you weren't feeling better. Exactly. I mean, you were a young child having to take morphine, I think you said, correct? Just to be able to function. Is that true? Sorry, can you repeat, please? Sure. So you were a young child and you yeah. had to take morphine, you know, the pain reliever, yeah. morphine, the pain drug, just to be able to function. I mean, that's not normal. Clearly, you were going through excruciating pain just to survive. Yeah. So your, your mom had to see that, I'm sure. Yeah. So now talk to us about you got your diagnosis and now you're going to fight, right? Okay, now I know yeah. I have somebody who believes me. I have this diagnosis. We're going to go and we're going to kick Lyme disease's butt. So what was your plan to treat Lyme disease? What medicine did you use to finally treat Lyme disease? Um, I had uh, many antibiotics uh, during two years. 
every month. Um, I also made um, a real detox of my body. Um, I took uh, many vitamins, um, uh, paid attention uh, to my um, alimentation, uh, my feelings. Um, I was really serious. <laughs> serious in taking medicine um, and that's all. So Julie, you said you were on antibiotics for about two years. Was it a many different antibiotics that you would change over time? So that seems to be the case with many people where you use different antibiotics together and you change it up over a, a period of time. And it's not like for you, that was two years. Is that what you did? Yes, different antibiotics. Do you recall the names, Julie, of any of the antibiotics that you were yes. taking? Um, but um, I don't know if it is the same name in English. Uh, I had the cytokine, amicitalin, um, gosifine, uh, azithromycin, Vifampicin, um, I think it's all. So Julie, it sounds like you were taking antibiotics to treat other things besides Lyme disease. You mentioned rifampin, which we know is used for Bartonella. You mentioned yes. other things. I know um, uh, from talking offline, you use some things for antiparasitics as well. And a lot of those are used for Babesia. So you did things like um, the Malarone for Babesia. So did you and your doctor suspect that you had other tick-borne illnesses from a tick bite like Babesia, possibly Bartonella and some others? Yes, um, I did a blood test with Lyme disease for Bartonella, Babesia and others. And uh, Babesia and Bartonella are positive. And um, that's how my doctor diagnosed me because he told me, if you have Babesia, you have Lyme disease. So you had a positive Babesia and Bartonella test, but not Lyme. So they were treating you for all three, assuming you have Lyme, which is probably, I mean, I think yes. that's a very smart move to treat all three. Exactly. So you, you did mention also, Julie, I believe you said you had to do some detox things. Is that what you said earlier? Yes. Talk to us about that. So what did that mean for you? Because you were taking antibiotics to really kill the various bacteria, parasites, et cetera, the Lyme disease, the Bartonella, the Babesia, but then detoxing is important also. So what things did you take to detox and how did they help you? Um... I took plants um, like uh, I have to say it in English. Um, um, Are they like like binders? Binders. What is binders? 
something to help take the toxins out of your body to kind of pull them out of your body. So they absorb all the toxins and help them eliminate by, you know, by sweating and peeing and pooping and that kind of a thing. So it sounds like your doctor, which frankly, here in the States, if you go to a regular, what we call a Western doctor or an American doctor, Mm -hmm. they don't really focus on detox. They focus primarily on the kill protocol, which is Mm -hmm. getting rid of the bacteria. Now, your doctor who diagnosed you, in addition to that, also said you have to work on getting rid of the die-off and the toxins, which is really important because you can get very sick as you kill the bacteria. So was this a regular general doctor who talked to you about detox, or was this a more of a naturopathic doctor in in Paris? Um, It's my Lyme doctor. He's working in a hospital, so um, I don't really know what type of doctor it is. Uh, I just know that he's treating Lyme disease um, and pretty good. Um, But for detoxing, um, I have to say I I did it on my own. he told me about detoxing, but not um, as far as I went uh, in detoxing. He, he told me, uh, yes, uh, take uh, some plant pills uh, to detox, uh, take uh, glutathione. But I, <laughs> I made some researches to, to, to do it um, in the best way I could. So Julie, your hospital doctor, which I think it's great that a hospital doctor even talked to you about detox, because I can share with you that when I was diagnosed, it was by a hospital doctor as well. And their only recommendation, which in fact, they called it a cure, was four weeks of antibiotics, one antibiotic, only one. And that was going to cure me, I was told. So I think the fact that your doctors were educated enough to treat you for not just Lyme, but the other co-infections, which are very common and address detox is a very, I think a very positive, uh, positive you know, thing for you because your other doctors weren't even thinking Lyme. And when you brought it up, they said, right. I mean, you told us your other doctors told you Lyme doesn't exist. Lyme doesn't become chronic. And then you found a doctor who said they're wrong. Lyme is real. It can be chronic and we can treat you. So I think it's really powerful that you finally found a doctor who understood Lyme. And as you said, is now a Lyme specialist there in, in France. And for anybody listening who is from your community, are you comfortable sharing this doctor's name so they can look, look him up if they're interested? Yes. Um, it's uh, Dr. Zedan in France, in Compiègne, in the, the north of France. And I think that was Dr. Zaden, right? Z-E-Z-E-D-A-N, correct? Yes, exactly. In the north of France. Thank you. Because again, I think it's really important to share good Lyme doctors when we find them because they're so hard to find, Julie, as you know. So let's talk a little bit more about your treatment because as you mentioned, your, your hospital doctor told you to take some plants and herbs and some glutathione, but then you did some research on your own to really make sure you were detoxing while treating so aggressively with the antibiotics. So what else did you do for detox? 
um, not so much. I I took some mix of plants, um, uh, like uh, I don't know how to say it in English, um, leaf. Um, Julie, did you say liquid plants? Sorry. Did you say liquid plants? I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't hear yes, what you said. Liquid plants, a mix, a mix to help to de detoxify uh, the body. Um, are, are those are those like tinctures? I think that's what we call them. Where they're like it's like it's um ground up plants mixed with some sort of like alcohol base, like a liquid um, herbal dropper. Not tinctures. Um, it's a mix that uh, you take in the morning before having breakfast. Um, um, it's a cure that uh, you can take during one month. And, and there, so it's like a liquid that you drop, like, a, is there a dropper? No, um, it's um, a liquid that you mix to a glass of water, of juice. Gotcha. So... I do know from uh, some talking offline a little bit, Julie, that you, from an herb standpoint or a plant standpoint, you did try things like grapefruit seed extract, yeah. devil's claw, garlic capsules. You did cemento and banderol by Nutrimedics, which are really powerful herbs um, to, to treat Lyme as well. So are these some of the things that you were talking about? Yes. So... Did you find these on your own, all of these plant-based medicines, these herbs? Um, I found it mostly by my own. Um, um, I did some experiences <laughs> on myself. Um, and it can be dangerous. Uh, I, have, I have to say it. <laughs> but... Um, it went, it went well well with me, so and it helped me a lot. Julie, I'm just sitting here in awe listening to you because you did so much on your own. I mean, you're the reason you got diagnosed. You're the reason you were able to detox properly. You're the reason that you combined antibiotics, which we call Western medicine, and Eastern medicine, which are the plant medicine, which I believe is the best approach when you have such a chronic form of Lyme disease and co-infections. And a lot of these things like Cemento and Banderol and Nutrimedics are really powerful to kill a wide variety of tick-borne illnesses and viruses and other things, mm -hmm. and also help you detox. So you were really killing all this stuff with Western medicine, all these antibiotics and all these, you know, malarone and, and antiparasitic drugs then you were supplementing them with detox plant-based medicine, but then also treating and killing the bacteria and viruses with additional herbs and plant-based medicines, as you call them, the liquids. So give us an idea, because you did say that, you know, it, you pretty much, you were an experiment, right? Which is, <laughs> we have to tell you, Julie, from our experience, Rich and I, you are our 221st guest that we've interviewed. So you're, we've interviewed 221 people with chronic Lyme on this podcast. And the ones that have the most success are the ones that use what we call trial and error because not there's no clear plan as to what's going to work to heal you from chronic Lyme. And what you described as your, your science experiment, I like to think of it as, is really trial and error. You do your research, you consult with your doctors, and you try something. If it works, you keep at it, 
and, and keep doing it. If it doesn't, you try something else. And I think that's the approach you took from what you're describing, correct? Yes. So give us some tips because people listening are, are in our situation. They are still dealing with Lyme and trying to get into remission. What are some things that you did that didn't work so well for you? Some cautionary tales, things that you did and you said, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. That I didn't work on me. Second, um, I um, my but it was my doctor who gave me plaquenil hydroxychloroquine. Um, it didn't work on me. Um, in the beginning, Artemisia didn't work on me, but today um, it's my only medication uh, that I took uh, um, by choice when I feel that I'm not so well. So Julie, you said Ar Artemisia was one, correct? Yes. And that's, that's an herb, Artemisia, right? Yes, Artemisia annua. And that did not help you much? In the beginning, uh, I had to take it uh, four or five times before it really did the thing to me. And today, um, uh, it's my only medication uh, when I, I feel that I need to treat a bit um, because I'm not taking antibiotics anymore. So let's talk about that, Julie, because it sounds like for when you say it didn't work in the beginning, was it a week? You know, how long was it that you were taking Artemisia and it didn't um, work? Three weeks. Um, three weeks. Uh, four or five times. During my antibiotic treatment, um, my doctor gave me Artemisia. And did it make you feel worse or it just didn't help you at all? In the beginning, it didn't work at all. And then it um, made me feel worse. So it went from not helping to making you feel worse, which is probably a Herxheimer reaction, right? Probably it was working too good where it was making your body almost like overloaded. Exactly. And then it's become the only thing that you're on today now that you're feeling better. And I think that's really important because we often get people asking us, Julie, you know, here's this one herb or this one drug, does it work or does it not work for Lyme? And that's a hard question because we're all different, as you know, yes. but also there's a really another important thing that we've learned from this podcast and it's timing. So mm -hmm. what I mean by that, Julie, is something that may not have helped you or possibly hurt you like it did you in the beginning has become your go-to herb now that you're feeling better and it's helping you stay better so it's so hard to say will this work for me because as you heal things that didn't help in the beginning can help you greatly later on in your journey do you, yeah. you think that's true of of artemisia and other things that you tried it throughout your healing journey exactly and the other one i believe you said julie was was it and i'm probably going to say this incorrectly was it the the fluconazole is that the one yes fluconazole. and i'm just going to 
I'm going to spell it. I'm sure we're going to get messages asking us what I'm talking about. because I cannot <laughs> pronounce the word. It's the F-L-U-C-O-N-A-Z-O-L-E, correct? That's the one that didn't work so well for you? Exactly. And from what I understand about, about fluconazole is, I'm sorry, I'm laughing as I'm saying it because I know I'm not saying it correctly. What I understand about this medication is it, it's an antifungal drug. And it really helps from studies with neurological Lyme disease. They found, um, and we, we did an interview, Julie, with Dr. Tim Haystead from Duke University here in the States, who was working on a protein inhibitor to kill all Lyme bacteria in your body. And it sounds like this drug, the, flu, the fluctinazole, which again, I can't say, no, can't was <laughs> an, a first attempt where they found that what it was actually doing, and I have a, um, a National Institute of Health article up here, it's actually from PubMed, that they found that this drug will actually inhibit a protein called this P450 protein, which is required for Borrelia to survive in your brain. So with neurological Lyme disease, the Lyme bacteria in your brain, this fluctinazole drug actually prevents a protein from functioning that keeps the bacteria alive. And this seemed to be pretty promising back in the um, early 2000s. In fact, 2004, I think this article was uh, published. So I think a lot of doctors were using it. So I'm curious, what kind of response did you have to this medication? Did it just not help? Did it make you feel worse? You know, what was your reaction to, to this drug? Um, it was not so promising for me. Um, but I don't know because I took it with antibiotics. So I don't know if the combo worked or if it was just antibiotics that helped me. When you say, so give us a little more information, Julie. Did it, did, when you introduced this fluconazole, did you feel, do you think it was a Herxheimer reaction? Do you think it was your body getting overwhelmed? Or do you think that it just didn't do anything at all for you? didn't uh, do anything at all. Gotcha. And again, it's hard to tell because you were on antibiotics as well. So it's hard to assess yes. how much this really potentially could have helped you. So let's, let's kind of turn that question on its head. And now I want to ask you, what treatments did you do? Because you did many. What treatments did you do that have actually helped you in your healing journey that you would recommend to people that are listening to this podcast? Um, I think the treatment uh, that saved me, um, that it's a bit difficult because I had a facial paralysis and paresthesias, um, but uh, my doctor gave me uh, Rucifine IVs uh, twice and Malarone. Um, and I think that medications really uh, change it all. So you said that's a ros the rosefin IV, I believe, right? The rosefin IV and the malarone IV? Yes. So malarone is for Babesia, I believe. And then the, the rosefin is really, is really like um, a strong version of a broad spectrum antibiotic for, for Lyme. So I actually was on rosefin as well. So now when you did the rosefin, it sounds like your facial paralysis had improved. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was magical. <laughs> so Talk to us more about this magic, Julie. So, so beyond the facial paralysis, can you give us some more detail about what symptoms improved by using an IV of rosefin? All of them. Really? I have 80% um, 
came um, late. Um, it worked on my heart issues during a few months. Um, it worked on my memory loss, uh, my concentration. Um, I felt like I was awaking <laughs> from um, a really long sleep. Uh, like my brain was um, actually um, back to life <laughs> than before. So this is, I think, really important because you were on oral antibiotics. You were taking them with like, you know, water and taking them, you know, orally and you weren't feeling as good. But when you did the IVs and got the IV injections, that's when you really started to feel better. So the, the oral medication maybe helped a little bit, but the IVs were your game changer, it sounds like. So, and just to repeat that, I mean, this is, this is because, and, and the reason I'm focusing on this, Julie, is people reach out to Rich and I all the time and ask us, I've been on every oral antibiotic in the world. I've done all the combination therapies of antibiotics in the world. I'm not doing much better. I'm considering doing IV antibiotics. What do you think? And, you know, I, were, I was on them. And for me too, it really helped me get over that hump. And then I had to do some more after that, but they really, really were helpful for my neurological symptoms. And it sounds like for you, they were really, really important because it cut your pain by 80%. And that was one of your major symptoms. You had chronic pain. It also helped you with your, your cardiac symptoms. We call that Lyme carditis or Lyme in the heart. And it helped you with those symptoms. It helped you with your neurological symptoms, your brain fog and your concentration as well. And, and that's, that was your game changer. I mean, so now were you doing Rosefin and Malarone at the same time, or did you do them at separate times in the IV? Separate, separate time. So talk to us then about, so you kind of just gave us an overview of what IV Rosefin did for you, but what did IV Malarone help you with? Um, all the same reasons than Rosefin, but I had really big axes with Malarone. It was really hard to leave it. So it was really, really helpful to on with the same things. It just it made you feel even better. Yes, but and, with really big heart reactions. Oh, did you and now, Julie? Did you do malarone after the IV rosefin? Um, I did rosefin once, then malarone, then rosefin twice, then malarone again. And did you herx? at all from the IV Rosefin? Um, Herx. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned you had a Herxheimer reaction, I think from the, from the IV Malarone, oh. like you felt bad, right? So um, did you, no. did, so Rosefin, did it make you feel worse because it was so overwhelming to your body because it was killing so much? No, I, I was really tired, but um, I felt, better um really fast in, and now in a, week, in a week in a week you felt better from the IV rosefin yes talk to us about the malarone and the herxing because you said that that was really hard and that you you, you yes. didn't feel well because it was so aggressive killing things in your body what kind of symptoms did you have from the IV malarone um really big um headaches 
uh, worse than migraines, um, a lot of nausea's, um, big uh, pain <laughs> everywhere, uh, like strains, like um, electrical. Um, Um, like electricity in my body. Um, I had, um, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's when you fall because you lost, um, you see uh, dark and then you fall. Oh, um, when you faint. You faint. It, you yes. faint, yes. So you were fainting from the IV malarone because it was so strong and you were, you were feeling very sick. So I know you mentioned also, I believe you mentioned taking rifampin too as one of your oral medications earlier on. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Talk to us about rifampin because we've been hearing a lot about rifampin from people who have told us that when they've had a lot of depression and anxiety and, and mental health problems, which are real symptoms of Lyme disease and Bartonella that the rifampin actually alleviated or, or almost eliminated their mental health symptoms when they took rifampin. So I guess the first question is, were you struggling with depression and anxiety? And if so, do you think that rifampin helped you with that? Um, it's difficult to say because uh, I had a depression, um, but um, the, the first year of, of college, so I was uh, 17, 18, uh, so it was a few years uh, earlier than that. Um, I don't know if I can say I had anxiety with Lyme, but I, I felt like something was not, um, I don't know how to say it, um, I had the impression that people walked uh, really next to me, uh, behind me uh, all the time, um, some hallucinations. Um, maybe I was a bit paranoid sometimes, but I didn't feel so depressed. Um, than, than I could be uh, before. Julie, with the hallucinations and the paranoia, those are common symptoms with Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses. Did they get better as you treated? Yes. Do you, do you have any, and it may be hard because you did a lot of things at once, is there any one medication or, or a few medications that you feel helped you the most with those psychological symptoms or, or the neurological symptoms, the hallucinations, the, the paranoia, and the, you know, the little bit of depression that you may have had? I would say rosicin, but with all the antibiotics, it was disappearing um, um, update. So um, it was getting better with the oral antibiotics, but then the IV rocephin yes. really made it like so much better. But it was really long and rocephin uh, changed it all. 
So we know you were on antibiotics for two years, you told us, Julie, and you got diagnosed when you were 19. So you finished when you were about 21 and now you're 23 today. So what have you been doing when, you know, from the time you stopped antibiotics at 21 up until today for maintenance, are you still doing herbs and plant medicine? Are you doing anything from a detox standpoint? You know, what's your current maintenance medication that you're taking now? Um, I'm taking a lot of vitamins um, to stay healthy um, because my, my doctor told, told me to do so. Um, and when I feel that I, I'm a bit tired, a bit... Um, sick again, um, I take uh, Artemisia, or I can take oregano oils too, capsules that my doctor gave me. Um, for example, I had COVID-19 in April, and um, I had to, took, uh, to take Artemisia um, after the vaccine too. Um, and uh, now, today, today I'm taking Artemisia too because I'm a bit tired, but uh, that's all. So Julie, you, you had COVID-19 in April yeah. and because it set your immune system back, it sounds like the, you know maybe you got a little sick again, maybe Lyme and things stirred up a little bit. And with Artemisia, you were able to recover pretty quickly after being yeah. sick because a lot of people worry about getting COVID-19 and having a major setback and not being able to improve. But it sounds like you're saying you need to be able to have tools available for when things happen to make sure you don't have a, a you don't go backwards and backwards and backwards. Yes. So for you, you felt yourself getting sicker. You took some Artemisia after, after COVID and you bounced back pretty quickly. Yes. And are there any other things you take or is it just Artemisia today when you feel like you're not doing so well? Um, from a from from that standpoint, from a, a killing standpoint, uh, just Artemisia and vitamins. Um, during winter, um, I take dried fruit seed extract too, um, because I'm I'm a bit fragile when the, when it's freezing cold. Um, I, I can uh, I can be sick uh, easier. So I'm anticipating, um, I'm anticipating. So Julie, it sounds like you, you take grapeseed extract in the winter when you normally get sick because it helps strengthen your immune system and can either prevent you from getting sick or make you less sick if you get sick in the winter time. Is that what you said? Exactly. So, I mean, Give us an idea as to where you're at today health-wise, because you were really, really sick. I mean, you were taking morphine just to manage your pain before you got diagnosed. And you had a lot, a lot of symptoms, neurological with your brain, cardiac with your heart, full body wide with, with your chronic pain and your chronic fatigue. I mean, what percentage, this is a hard question. I'm sorry to even ask you this, Julie, but what question would you say you're recovered from Lyme disease? Um, I don't think I understood the question. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard question. And a lot of our guests don't like when I ask this question, but give us an, you know, how, how, 
how much healed would you say you are? Meaning, you know, how much better are you doing today than you were when you were at your worst? You know, how, how, how are you functioning today? How are you doing today? Health-wise? I would say 70, 80%. It depends on the day. That's an amazing recovery, Julie. It really is. And, and before I hand you back over to Rich, I could talk to you forever at this point, but I can tell Rich is getting annoyed with me because he wants to, he wants to talk to you too, that if, is there anything else that we missed that you did from a treatment standpoint to help you with physical healing or emotional healing that you want to address and share with our listeners to help them before Rich takes over? Um, I think when you feel a really, I'll say it, um, sad and uh, meaningless, uh, we have to, to talk to someone, to talk to our friends, to our parents, to uh, psychologists, um, um, it's important to, to talk about that, how, about how you feel, about uh, what, uh, what scares you, uh, etc. So Julie, let's talk about the transformation that you've gone through while being on this Lyme disease journey, meaning what were the beautiful parts of this journey and what did you learn about yourself that you would not have learned had you not gone through the suffering that you've had to deal with on your Lyme disease journey? Um, I learned that I have a really big strength um, and it impressed me. So you, you did learn how strong you are and you learned how impressive that is. And that is, that is wonderful. But talk to us about how you learned how to do all your research and how you learned how to get all the resources and how you were able to do that despite not having the support of your family that you would certainly have loved to have had. Um, I did a lot of researches uh, on Google. <laughs> I read a lot. Um, and I created my Instagram account, um, and I I talked to many people and learned about them too a lot. So talk to us about that. What inspired you to reach out to other folks in the Lyme disease community to help them? Why did you feel the the call to help other people? Um, because I. I wanted to help us um, because I, I, I wasn't, um, um, there was not so much uh, Lyme communities when I got sick. Um, we didn't talk about it on social media um, and I needed to talk to people like me. And um, and it was difficult because they they were pretty rare, um, and um, it helps me a lot to to feel understand um, 
in my, my suffering, um, in my fears, um, what I was going through. So now let's talk about the last question we ask everyone on the Thick Bootcamp podcast. Uh, there is a young man in your life I know you are yes. very happy with. So congratulations yes. on finding, finding you. someone that you care so much about. Let's say, God forbid, right after this podcast, he came walking into your room and he had a tick biting him. What would you recommend that he do so that he wouldn't have to go on the challenging and difficult Lyme disease journey you had been on? Um, I would take an appointment with my wonderful Lyme doctor um, very quickly. Um, and uh, I think he... He would do uh, a blood test uh, immediately, um, and um, uh, I think he 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 could have um, the same antibiotics that than me, um, and I could um, uh, give him. Um, Riposid extract, uh, Artemisia, uh, all the the herbs, the plants that helped me too. So you would you would recommend he take both an Eastern and Western approach to healing because that's what ultimately led you to the successes that you've had. Yes, and uh, he he will go to see my doctor immediately. <laughs> right. So you so you would you would offer to him both the team that you built for yourself yes. and the tools that you built for yourself and the combination of the team and the tools would put him in a position where, in your view, he would have the greatest likelihood of overcoming the challenges that you had to come you had exactly. to overcome. Well, Julie, I can't thank you enough for sharing your beautiful story with the community of Tick Boot Camp and thank you for all that you do for the Lyme disease community. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest Julie Combo. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Julie Combo, please visit our Instagram page at le.combat.de.julie. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.